0: You are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Inaccurate portrayals of obsessive compulsive disorder by actors on television and in films would lead one to believe that those with OCD publicly engage in eccentric behaviors, making their diagnosis obvious to any observer. The reality is quite different. Those suffering from OCD usually take great care to keep their symptoms from being noticed, The accurate diagnosis and treatment of OCD is the topic of this Clinician's Roundtable. Welcome, I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin and joining me from Oconomowoc, Wisconsin is Dr. Bradley Riemann, Director of the OCD Center and Cognitive Behavioral Services at Rogers Memorial Hospital. Dr. Riemann is a Clinical Assistant Professor in the Department of Psychology at the Chicago Medical School, Marquette University, and the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. He is the founder of the Anxiety Disorders Foundation, a charitable organization dedicated to improving the lives of those affected by anxiety disorders. Welcome, Dr. Riemann. Thank you. Dr. Riemann, OCD is often unrecognized, and an amazing amount of time goes by before recognition and treatment. In fact, the OCD Foundation says people will see three or four doctors, and nine years can pass before diagnosis, and on average, 17 years pass from the time that OCD begins to the time that individuals receive treatment. That's a ridiculously long time. What is getting in the way of diagnosis and treatment?
1: People with OCD really fear embarrassment of their symptoms. They recognize and have insight that their symptoms are unusual or bizarre, and so they really go to great lengths to try to hide those symptoms in the vast majority of cases to the point where they're reluctant to seek an assessment or treatment for their condition. We've had many professionals call us and say that they've been maybe seeing a patient for years say in the past week, the patient has finally admitted that they've been suffering with OCD for many, many years, and the ticket of admission, so to speak, in a treatment may have been depression or something like that. So the reluctance to admit these conditions certainly plays a role. I think it's also a situation where in children, for example, parents many times, I think, have wishful thinking and think that this may be just a phase that their child is going through and and postpone an assessment or treatment for many, many years. And then there's also a problem on the professional end. Clearly, this is a, a condition that is misdiagnosed Uh, Many times you'll have things that are not OCD being classified as OCD and, and, of course, the opposite is true as well. And so it, it seems to be kind of a, a combination of factors.
0: Right. So there's misdiagnosis, and, and sometimes, as you mentioned, a patient may present with something else, perhaps depression. There's often comorbidity with OCD as well. What other disorders sometimes accompany OCD?
1: Well, OCD seems to be one of those situations where, at least in our experience, uh, we're not getting very many pure OCD cases anymore. You're absolutely right. Comorbidity rates are very high. You will see uh, high rates of uh, coexistence with other anxiety disorders, Uh, such as panic disorder and the like, other kinds of conditions. Many people kind of call these things obsessive-compulsive spectrum disorders, such as tic disorders, uh, Tourette's, a lot of ADD, ADHD, eating disorders, uh, and lots of depression. About 85% of people with OCD will report having a significant level of depression as well.
0: Without treatment on their own, how do individuals cope with OCD?
1: The main way they try to cope is, of course, through ritualistic thoughts or behaviors, things that are done in certain ways or a certain number of times or repetitively to try to drive the anxiety down or or prevent some sort of bad event from occurring. So their compulsions or rituals, I think, are certainly their number one way of trying to cope. I think that uh, there's also certainly incorporating their family into their OCD, so they will seek reassurance time and time again about, certain things, uh, you know, mommy, is it okay if I touch the doorknob, or am I going to get sick, or, you know, gee, I had this bad thought, is that okay? So reassurance seeking, uh, also incorporating their family directly in their rituals. So uh, if I think the world's a dangerous and contaminated place, not only do I have to wash my hands, but I'm going to ask my family perhaps to wash their hands uh, many, many times a day as well. And then, of course, avoidance. Avoidance levels are very high. As we mentioned before, They do fear embarrassment, try to hide their symptoms. And the vast majority of people we have seen with OCD would say, if if I had to live my life like that guy on television... and and have to kind of publicly display these symptoms, I just wouldn't go out. So they would just avoid doing these types of things.
0: And if they're left untreated, the patients with OCD must be at greater risk for other complications. And this leads to complications for the families that have been drawn into the illness as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. For example, despite being quite intelligent, people with OCD really have a lot of academic and occupational impairment. So they're not doing well in school. uh, They're not doing well on the job. It's awfully hard for Johnny, to pay attention to his math lesson when he is concerned about the sneezes uh, coming from across the room, or it's hard for Mr. Williams to do well in his engineering class, say, despite finishing first in his class because he keeps having to draw and erase and draw and erase uh, these lines over and over again. So it may take him four or five times as long to get a project out. So lots of impairment there, uh, lots of family uh, discord, as you mentioned. This really kind of tears apart the family, marital problems, parenting issues lots of stress and strain on the family. And then lastly, of course, it, it also interferes with people socially. Uh, so there's lots of social isolation and withdrawal.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Brad Riemann, director of the OCD Center and Cognitive Behavioral Services at Rogers Memorial Hospital in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. And we're talking about the accurate diagnosis of obsessive-compulsive disorder so, Dr. Riemann, if a patient or his or her family have not identified OCD themselves, how can the clinician screen for OCD, and when should they do this?
1: Well, that's a great question. I would just recommend certainly that the professional kind of follow their their gut hunches. If you start to see a patient, you know, exhibiting signs of kind of a hyper sense of responsibility for other people's well being, if if they seem to kind of have a drive or a need to control their thinking, if they they have kind of this need for exact certainty. I mean, these are kind of some traditional themes or patterns that people with OCD exhibit. And and if you start seeing a patient displaying these kinds of things, I think that would be a good time to uh, really do a, a screening or an assessment for OCD. Keep in mind, it's the fourth most common psychiatric diagnosis in the U.S., so you're going to see a lot of it, even if if the patients aren't displaying, you're going to see a lot of people with this condition. There are some some, uh, very valid and reliable screening instruments that can be done very, very quickly, but generally what most people would do is just kind of familiarize themselves with the diagnostic criterion and begin to ask questions because, again, many times it is a don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. Uh, they fear embarrassment even with their health care provider. But if you start prompting them with some questions, have you ever experienced unwanted thoughts, images, or impulses kind of questions, many times uh, that seems to kind of normalize these symptoms to the patients and kind of let their guard down and then they begin to to start to discuss these symptoms.
0: You mentioned how common it is as a mental illness. What are the incidence and prevalence rates?
1: At this point it appears that about two and a half percent of our population has obsessive compulsive disorder. This is millions and millions of people. Some individuals, or some researchers believe that this is actually a very conservative estimate. Again, people with OCD do fear discussing these kinds of symptoms. And and of course, the way we assess this kind of thing on a large scale is to just knock on people's doors, so to speak, and and ask them if they're suffering from this kind of condition. Two and a half percent of our population has admitted to it. Some people feel that it may be twice that high.
0: Right. It it might be helpful to go over just the basics of OCD with definitions of obsessions and compulsions.
1: Sure. Obsessions are, are defined as unwanted thoughts, images, or impulses that generate high levels of anxiety. The the key word in that definition is unwanted. Compulsions, on the other hand, are some sort of repetitive act. It can be another thought or a a behavioral act that is done to try to neutralize that obsessional thought or to get rid of the anxiety that it causes or to somehow prevent a bad event from occurring. The, The key part to remember about compulsions is it doesn't have to be something you can see. It doesn't have to just be some sort of behavior. It can be a neutralizing thought as well. Common examples of obsessions, of course, are the fear of becoming dirty or contaminated, doubting whether you did something or did something correctly. Those are the two most common obsessional uh, thoughts, but there can be many, many others. In terms of compulsions, you can have washing and cleaning, obviously, compulsions in response to uh, contamination obsessions, checking typically in response to doubting, but there can be many, many other kinds of compulsions as well. These
0: thoughts are unwanted, but most people don't like to worry. What makes these thoughts and rituals clinically significant as compared to everyday worries or sometimes superstitious behaviors that those without OCD engage in?
1: Great question. You know, the the idea here is that everybody on the planet gets an unwanted thought, image, or impulse from time to time. Everyone then technically gets an obsessional thought from time to time. Well, what separates out somebody who has OCD than from somebody who doesn't. Oh, it must be the kind of obsessional thought they get, right? No, we actually get the same kind of obsessional thoughts. Jonathan Abramowitz, who's now at North Carolina, completed a study where he found something like 93% of parents of newborn children, these are parents without OCD, by the way, reported having unwanted harming thoughts about their newborn child. This kind of phenomenon seems to be a a natural thing, but for the vast majority of those people in Abramowitz's study, it was a transient issue. It just faded away. So we get the same kind of obsessional thoughts as well. So then what separates us uh, from someone who has OCD? It appears that it's a frequency and an intensity issue. People with OCD get so many obsessional thoughts that it begins to create disorder or interference in their lives, and that's when we say they have obsessive-compulsive disorder. Getting back to the Abramowitz study, the vast majority of those people who experienced these phenomenon basically just quickly discarded the thought that well, that was kind of a weird thought and just kind of threw it away and, and went back to loving their child. Somebody who has OCD or someone who may be predisposed to having OCD, however, cannot do that. They they, they just get overwhelmed by this thought, and they, they keep thinking about their thinking. Well, why did I think that? I don't think I'm that kind of a person. Well, why did I have that thought? And they kind of get into this mental tug-of-war And they're just not able to let go of it.
0: Sometimes people without OCD will also casually refer to themselves as being OCD about something. And they're usually referring to being very conscientious about certain facets of their lives. And it is possible that such people have obsessive-compulsive personality disorder. How is OCD different from obsessive-compulsive personality disorder? And do people with OCD usually have an obsessive-compulsive personality disorder?
1: Well, OCPD... Is a different diagnostic category. Of course, it falls under the, the category of personality disorders, whereas OCD falls under anxiety disorders. Obsessive compulsive personality disorder is really characterized by a cluster of personality traits of rigidity, inflexibility, and kind of this governance uh, by rules. There are no obsessions or compulsions as we just defined them a moment ago. People with OCD also tend to like the way they are, which of course is very different than the OCD patient. The OCPD patient will many times say, hey, the world would be a better place if everyone was like me. They rarely seek treatment on their own. If they do, it's usually a spouse that's had enough or or an employer who isn't able to deal with the situation anymore. And, and frankly, they don't tend to do real well in treatment because, again, they, they pretty much like the way they are and think everyone else should kind of follow along. There is a, about 10%, I believe, of people with OCD will have a coexisting OCPD, but the vast majority don't.
0: Well, that's very interesting. Thank you, Dr. Riemann. Thank you. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.